Welcome to the Hey Soul Sister podcast, where Mel Histon will guide you through life's big questions and bring you one step closer to doing this crazy journey as best you can. Hey Soul Sisters, you may remember a few months ago, I had the wonderful Susie Russell and Peter Winnie Bartz on Hey Soul Sister podcast, and we were talking about how to rebuild your life after divorce. I've been through divorce a long time ago, but I can still remember what a tough time it is trying to navigate that with kids, exes, custody arrangements, settlements. It can be a really tough time. And you kind of go, hopefully you move on in life and you might meet somebody else, repartner, and move past all those challenges and traumas and live a good and happy life. I think that's what we all really want at the end of the day, to live a good, soulful, happy life. Today, I'm going to explore that topic from a different angle, rebuilding after divorce, with my wonderful friend who I have here with me, Nick McClanahan. How are you going, Nick? Hey, Mel. I'm good. So, Nick and I met six or seven years ago now. We were over on Necker Island hanging out with Richard Branson. Uh, I'm not saying that as a brag, or maybe it is, I don't know. <laughs> but that's where I first met Nick. We were over there with business chicks uh, on a leadership retreat. It was a really wonderful experience, wasn't it? it was oh, a, life-changing. It was a life-changer. Yeah. Life-changer, game-changer. And Nick has gone on to uh, have a number of businesses. She currently is the founder and CEO of Human Experience. Tell us about Human Experience, Nick. Yeah, it's a bespoke mystery shopping company. So we actually have about 3,000 shoppers across Australia and New Zealand and companies hire us to go in and be their eyes and ears and give them some feedback on how their sales and service is being executed so they can have coaching conversations and improve the customer experience. I think I would love to be a mystery shopper. It's so much fun. I jump in there every now and then. Yes. I particularly like doing the pub ones. Um, <laughs> go and have a beer and a pub meal. That's human experience. Do you pay your mystery shoppers? We do. Do, do you, do you yep. ever do any in Newcastle? We do. Can I put my hand up? Yeah, absolutely <laughs> you can. I would love to do that, although I could give the game away. I don't know if I'd have a good poker face. Yeah, there, there's some discretion involved <laughs> there and you know, you definitely just need to kind of play it cool and and be an ordinary customer. I remember when I worked at Sizzle when I was 18 and we used to get mystery shoppers through all the time and then the reports would come through to the store and they'd be like, right, this is a mystery customer, a mystery shopper came through on this day, a mystery customer, and they would go through the report and who served them and who did what. And I remember we'd all be like so fearful, <laughs> but kind of excited at the same time. Yeah, definitely. You did not want to be that staff person that had their name read out by management that you totally stuffed up or you didn't give them sauce or you didn't upsell I don't know. But this is one of the, it's not, hmm. we always train our shoppers to catch people out doing the right things wherever possible. So we give them every opportunity to get it right. But where there's constructive feedback, we just tell the story. There's no judgment or opinion. And we actually train our clients how to have coaching conversations. So it's not a gotcha or you've been caught out or a punitive tool because it can be scary, but it's a moment in time that we can all learn from and hopefully improve the experience for our customers moving forward. 
And I would just like to say that if you see me come into your shop or your business, <laughs> just be careful. I could be mystery shopping you. I'm totally putting my hand up for that. Lord. So, Nick, founder and CEO of Human Experience, but you've had a number of businesses. Yeah, I'm a, a bit of a serial entrepreneur. I actually have three at the moment, which is a bit crazy. So, there's Human Experience. Um, I have Dot on a Sock, which is my e-commerce business. It's my COVID baby. It's the business that I've wanted to do for about five or six years. So I have three kids and one of the things that's always driven me mad is trying to find and pair their socks. So I think we can all relate to that if you're a mum, trying to keep the socks paired. It's such a first world problem, but it's real and it can be the thing that really tips you over the edge. So we have white, black, grey and navy socks all with a colour-coded dot system on the sole so you can find and pair your socks really easily. So yeah, it's lots of fun. I've really enjoyed launching that business. I love it. So that's number two. What's number three? (laughs) Number three is Accountability Circle. So I work with female business owners and get together a group of eight women with all different kinds of businesses, different sizes, different stages, and we hold each other to account. And it's the kind of people that want to grow their businesses and grow themselves. It's almost like an advisory board. um, And it's a really beautiful thing that I get to facilitate. So I have 48 women in six groups of eight and we meet once a month and it's a real pleasure to work with them oh lovely so mum of three mum of three yeah and serial entrepreneur yep (laughs) (laughs) yep that's me and I'm just gonna uh, mention one thing I when I was doing my research on you because even though I know you I did a little little bit of research on you I didn't know that you used to own Fernwood health gyms yeah I had I had three I was in business with my brother and his wife and they were actually my first businesses I was 29 when I went into business first of all and the first club that we had at the time that we opened it and ran it it was the most successful in their history wow um and it was it was an awesome business we got into that because we weren't gym buffs or anything but it aligned with our values and the business stacked up and then we went on to have another two and one was a huge success and one was an epic fail. <laughs> so we had the two extremes in an experience over six years. Yeah. Wow. And so did you end up selling those? We sold one, we relocated the other and we walked away from the third. So very different experiences. Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah. Are Fernwood's still around? Yeah, they are. Yeah. There just seems to be so many gyms and health centres now that it's almost a bit hard keeping up with all of them. Yeah, there is a lot. But, you know, I opened that business, the first one in 2004, and a lot more people now likely to be members of a gym. There's a lot more choice as well. So, yeah, it's a very different environment to when we first opened. What was kind of some of your big, biggest challenges, business challenges today? Uh, biggest overall, trading through the GFC. So we only had, we sold a really big successful club just before the GFC hit in 2008. I think I've got that right. Um, so we were quite lucky actually in terms of timing, but the one that we had left that we had relocated The one-year anniversary was coming up just after the GFC. And our member base were generally women that a gym was a luxury. It was not something that they had always done before. And it's the first thing that went from their budget. So we then lost money every month for the next, I think it was 36 months. And had only had this brand new, shiny, beautiful gym that was only a year old. And that was a really, really tough time. That would have been tough. Yeah. And, you know, you go from being franchisee of the year and the most successful club to being humbled to literally nearly losing everything. What did you learn through that tough time? Oh, how resilient you can be and how just because something's worked for you in the past doesn't mean it will work for you in the future. And just to be able to try different things and 
and I hate using the word pivot after COVID because <laughs> everyone about pivoted. It, yeah, you know, I, I, I'm making a movement with my body at the moment. I don't know what the word is, but but just you know, trying different things and different angles, and to keep moving forward, even if it is the two steps forward and one step back. Want to save your soul? Review us on Apple Podcast. So through those times, were you married? Yes, I was. You were. And did you have kids through the Fanwood time? Oh my God, I did. I had th- the first two kids when I had Fernwood. The second one was um, in a really tough time and my breast milk dried up. I couldn't breastfeed with him um, and he was quite a sick baby and yeah. I was under a lot of stress at the time. That was a really difficult, uh, the first 12 months of his life were really difficult. Yeah. And so Nick, like many of us, myself included, probably 50% of the population at some point, you went through a marriage breakdown. Yes, I did. Yeah. So how long, how long ago was that? Just over four years ago. Yeah, yeah. It's not an easy time. <laughs> no, it's not. Going through a marriage breakdown. When you reflect now, back now, could you see that that was kind of always going to happen or was it a bit of a shock for you going through? Oh, that's such a good question. I think there was somewhere inside of me that knew it was over probably a couple of years beforehand, like not consciously, but one of my closest friends remembers a moment that was really tough in my marriage and I was talking to her and I said I said something to her like, is this all there is? Is this it? Is this what marriage is? This is, this is crap, basically. And she said a couple of years later when I did leave the marriage, she knew then that I was going to. So she, she saw the signals before I really knew. I think on some level I knew, but I think I grieved for a couple of years and I grieved because what I thought would be was not going to be. And I think as well, when you start to get those thoughts that at the time you probably don't necessarily know that it's going to lead to a marriage breakdown, but you probably start to have those thoughts like this doesn't feel right. Yeah. I'm not particularly happy. You don't necessarily always go, okay, that's it. I'm leaving. No, no. Uh, and one of my biggest strengths, I would say, would be my resilience. I'm always looking forward and I'm very positive. And so I think in some ways that was actually my Achilles heel in this relationship that I probably was unhappy for quite some time. But because I'm positive and I'm always moving forward, I'm, I made it work. And, and the other thing I look back on now, it's more retrospect than at the at the time. But I remember I would share kind of, you know, my experience and my maybe my unhappiness around what was going on in my marriage with other women. And then they would kind of share their stories too, which was good that we were talking. But how the conversation would always land would be like, yeah, you know, they're all the same and this is what it is. And it was like the bar was really low. And so I, I felt like we were all kind of putting up with it because there was nothing better or no one knew of anything any utopia that would be better. And you know what's funny? When you think about maybe our grandma's generation, maybe our mum's, but particularly like our grandma's generation, divorce just wasn't an option. So you, the bar was set very low and you just put up with it. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I remember my granny talking about her sister and she'd be like, her sister's husband was abusive to her and she'd be like, oh, he's a bugger. That, that man is a bugger. But no one did anything. No one intervened. Nobody said you should leave. It was like, that's just what you do. Yeah. You know, that's how, that's as good as it's going to get. And I think there's still some, definitely some social stigma around, you know, you being the one. I, I chose to leave. I chose to end the marriage. And, 
you know, you'll get a lot of people say, oh, what about the kids, the poor kids? You know, shouldn't you be putting the kids first? So it's, it's hard and financially you're often worse off. Like the, the, it's the harder choice to make. Uh, the easier one, I think, is is to stay in an unhappy marriage. The harder choice is to leave. Absolutely. My husband says, just generally, people leave when the pain of staying is worse than the pain of leaving. Yeah, I, I resonate with that, definitely. Yeah, Because it's, at, at certain points you go, the pain isn't that bad yet. Yeah. But it's like at some point, not for everybody, but for some people, the pain of staying is worse than the pain of leaving. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. And the thought of actually having to start again. It's massive. It's massive. So what was the catalyst that finally saw you go, actually, I think I'm done? Oh, such a good question. There were probably hundreds of little things. And I often talk about the analogy of the boiling frog. You know, you put the frog into the the water and you slowly put it on boil, but it doesn't realise that the water's boiling till it's too late. And so that was, I'd liken my experience to that. Probably the final straw was I was overseas on a trip with the Hunger Project. I had raised um, $30,000 to go on this trip and learn from the great work that they were doing, um, really stretch my leadership skills and give back to the community. And the intent from my ex-husband was to make me feel guilty for doing this and to kind of make me feel bad while I was over there to ruin my experience. And I just knew enough was enough. That was probably my, my tipping point. I came back and I was I was quite sure what I was going to have to do, but I was petrified. And I remember having this really great conversation with one of my best friends. And she said to me, you know, Nick, if your daughter, my daughter at the time was four, she was my youngest or still is my youngest, but she was the youngest at that point at four. If your daughter was going through this, what would you tell her to do? What advice would you give her? And I said, oh, I would tell her to leave. I'd tell her to stand up for herself and and walk away and, you know, see what's next. And she said to me, why don't you love yourself as much as your daughter? Wow. And she said, and what you're actually doing, if you don't leave, she said, I'll still love you if you don't leave, but if you don't leave, you're giving her the opposite advice. So if you want to give your daughter that advice, maybe you need to think about what action is next. What a good friend. Such a great friend and it was so wise. And that that was the final, you know, I went and got a lease on an apartment and put all the kind of things in place that I needed to extract myself from the relationship. And how did he take it? Oh, not very well. I, I think he was shocked and and that's that's probably partly on me. Like I definitely tried over time to kind of talk about things, but it was still a shock to the system for him. So no, he didn't take it well. And I think for a while he was in denial. And then after I moved out, by default, which we'll talk about in a sec, I um, (laughs) unexpectedly started another relationship. So then I think he knew it was definitely over. So it's still not amicable, actually, four years later. So it's it's tough. Yeah, do you know what? My ex hasn't been amicable with me for 17 years. Yeah. Sometimes it never does, but you just have to reach a point of... Moving on within yourself and being happy and um, and kind of drowning out the noise. Definitely. And I, I'm, I'm really working on, as a whole at the moment, being compassionate. And, you know, it, this wasn't his choice. Yeah. He thought th- this was for life. And I expected more. I wanted a, 
a different looking and feeling relationship and you know I made the choice to obviously marry him but I I don't think I was as educated on what a healthy relationship looks and feels like as I am now. And and I would agree. We we do a lot of that with Got Your Back Sister. We go and do run love bites in high schools and talk to kids about healthy versus non-healthy relationships. But I don't really remember anything. I mean, we did a bit of sex ed when I was in high school, but there was no talk about, okay, well, what does a healthy relationship look like? What does an unhealthy relationship look like? And what are red flags for a really unhealthy, toxic probably abusive relationship Um, there was nothing and my i'm happy to share this my background i was sexually abused by a family member at four and i was very lucky because i told a cousin who told my aunt who told my parents my parents put a stop to it immediately but there was no like psychologist appointments or support we just we just moved on with things but the abuse stopped but i wonder how that impacted me in my choices Later on in my relationships, um, I think it definitely made me a pleaser and yeah. I think it definitely made me put my own needs at the back end. So, you know, no, and nothing, all of my, I have three-year-old brothers and my parents and my three-year-old brothers basically married their childhood sweethearts. Like it was just, you know, good middle-class Catholic family that you married your childhood sweetheart and you went on and you had babies and yeah, that that's all ever, anyone was doing around me as well. So I think there was subconscious pressure to conform to that absolutely were your family supportive of my ex-husband no of of the breakup not at first the first instinct was what about the kids yeah that was their first instinct what about the kids and the more i spoke to them about what was going on the more supportive they were and in fact when i made the move and had a subsequent conversation with my dad he said to me i've got my girl back this is the girl i had 20 years ago, you're back. Yeah. So I think what, what was really important was their first instinct was fear. What would this mean for me? What would it mean for their grandchildren? What would it mean for me financially? What would other people think? That was, And I, I was really, I'd spoken to my psychologist about having that conversation with my parents. And um, she really told me to sit in that uncomfortable thing and try and explain things and talk them through. Because it really does, it brings up a lot of fear, doesn't it? Fear for everybody. Definitely. Yeah. But you get through that. You do. You absolutely do. You totally get through it. It wasn't going to change my mind. I remember going in like, I love you guys, but you're not going to change my mind. I'm really clear on on what's happening. Yeah. When I separated from my first husband, I was the only person I knew. Yeah. That was divorced. That was really hard. That's really hard. I was the only person I knew. So I faced a lot of judgment. I can imagine. Yeah. Not like that now. No. (laughs) No. Let's get soulful on social media. Search the Sister Code Facebook page and follow us on Instagram. Things did start to look up for you, though, because you met somebody who has become the love of your life. Yeah, and and certainly was super unexpected. So within getting back from Malawi with The Hunger Project, I was in my own townhouse six weeks later I walked out with the my wardrobe and a painting and I set up a new house and I remember lying in the bath that first night in this house and getting it ready for when the kids were coming and I remember thinking oh my god I've never felt happier and just I just felt peace and and free and it was fabulous and then I started to realize that I had feelings 
for a friend and I'm thinking, oh, no, like this is seriously the last – am I allowed to swear on this podcast? Yes. This is the last fucking thing I need. Like, <laughs> no, no. And what made this unusual was that it was a woman. So it, it complicates things even more so. Yeah. And <laughs> and at the time of, of, you know, leading up to and leaving my ex-husband, I was seeing a psychologist, which I highly recommend, you know, if you're ever struggling with any decisions or through any big moments in life, like it's having someone who is independent and trained and wants nothing but, a, you know, the mm. best outcome but not attached to what that outcome is, is, is brilliant. And I remember saying to her, so I've got feelings for this friend of mine and mine and I just want to put it away and like put it aside and just I can't deal with that. It's the last thing I need right now. And she said to me, so you've been suppressing how you've been feeling for years. It would be basically neglectful of me to tell you to suppress these feelings. And the whole session became about this basically crush and feelings I had for Liska, which was not my intention of that session. And from that session, I went back to my little place at Crow's Nest and I made a list of all the reasons to say nothing and the reasons to say something to her. And there were 27 reasons to say, and they were all fear-based. Like you look at the list, it's all fear-based. And there were three reasons to tell her. And the one, the one I remember anyway, but the one that got me across the line was this could be the one chance for me to love and be loved every yeah. day. Like just, just have a go. Yeah. yeah. So at this stage, you, had you been with a woman before? No. Never? No. Had Liska? Yes. But she also identified as gay quite late as well. So she had identified about two years before but prior to that had only male partners yeah that would be so i'm gonna say that would be freaky that'd be scary when i say freaky means scary like to go well you've you've not been with a woman before like that's kind of like jumping into a i guess like a whole other way world almost yeah and you know what cognitively i get that Mm. I like oh I felt it with every cell in my body and that wow. was the really like the, the fear didn't even yep. I was scared when I told her because I think I was scared of being rejected and losing a friend and well it's like telling you know. a, like anybody that's like yeah. I'm really attracted to you and actually I'm, I dig you like yeah, yeah. <laughs> no matter so, who it is no, exactly <laughs> despite gender whatever so th- there was that fear but there yep. was no fear about her I just I can't explain it because it was it's pure emotion, but um, I knew what I felt. So, well, how did you tell her? <laughs> what, what happened? Like, yeah. We went out to dinner. We were catching up a lot. We were both going through a bit of a tough time and she'd recently broken up with a girlfriend and she was a great support and friend through all of the, the breakup with my ex-husband. And um, we were out at dinner and I knew I was going to say something. I thought, it's tonight, it's now or never. Oh, my God, were you so nervous? So nervous. I I did drink a little bit of wine. (laughs) Anyway, it was after dinner and I think I said to her, I have something to tell you. I have feelings for you that's more than friendship. I didn't know. I'm like, I don't know, 41 years old and like feeling like a teenager, basically. Yeah. And she was very surprised because she had not thought of me as being gay. So she had no idea. No, nah, no. Nah. So she's sitting there having dinner with you and your next thing you, you, you've said, I've got feelings for yeah, you. Yeah, we, we had become really close. Yeah. This girl had actually 
gone to Malawi with us with the Hunker Project trip and we'd really bonded there and I certainly didn't I, I just thought oh my god I've, I've met a great friend and really felt like we were very connected and we we're catching up kind of once a week we were calling them our mental health checkups kind of on each other yeah and yeah so she was quite blindsided and was like oh wow I, I that's really unexpected and again I can't remember exactly what was said immediately after that and then she said okay kiss me and so I did <laughs> What was that like, your first kiss? It was great. And it felt really, really natural. And it always has. Yeah. Were there like fireworks? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And I just remember I didn't want to say goodnight to her that night. Don't you love that the first time you kiss someone that you're into? Oh, my God. So good. I can still remember it so clearly. In fact, we're going to dinner tonight at that restaurant. Yeah, I know. We've got a bit of a significant date today that we're celebrating to do with Liska's work. But yeah, we're going to that restaurant tonight. So it'll be really nice, nice memories there. And the cool thing is, is that she actually really is the love of your life because you're now married. We are. We got married in September 2019. Yeah. I know. I can see you glowing just sitting here looking at you, the big smile on your face. and So unexpected. Like I never saw it coming. Yeah. Never, I couldn't, couldn't have written it in my wildest dreams. Yeah. Was your ex down with that? Was he cool with that? <laughs> oh, look, I would say no. So Liska and I had really tough discussions up front, you know, and which actually I think leads to, led to us building a really strong foundation. We had to talk about all the different permutations. You know, her being with me meant basically taking on three kids and an ex-husband. Yeah, because Liska, she doesn't have kids. She doesn't biological have kids. Biological kids, sorry. No, she doesn't have, correct, yeah, biological kids. Interestingly enough, bit of a side note though, she is six years and eight years older than her siblings, Georgie and Nelson, and her dad passed away when Liska was 16. So Nelson and Georgie, Georgie were 10 and 8, and she very much played a parenting role with her mum. Yeah. So she has, like, stepped in with the kids, and she is a natural, beautiful, loving, caring parent. Yeah. And sometimes I'm like, oh, my God, you've got more skills than I do because I, at that point, had, you know, a 9-year-old, a 7-year-old, and a 4-year-old. So yeah. she definitely came in with some really, sadly, how the – you know, with her dad passing away, but also came in with some experience that really helped bring us together. But no, to answer your question, Mel, I decided within a, a two-week period that I was not going to have a dirty little secret and I was going to have no shame around me being with a woman. And so I told my ex-husband outright. I didn't want him hearing it from anyone else and I didn't want it to be held over me. And shortly after that, maybe a week or so, I hadn't told the kids or anything yet because Liska and I were still kind of very Feeling new. Your way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, was getting advice from my psychologist. And then I heard through some friends that my ex-husband had told a whole bunch of his friends, including some dads from school. And so then my fear was, oh, shit, my kids are going to find out their mum's gay on the school playground. That can't happen. So I made an appointment with the school principal. We go to a little, the kids go to a little Catholic school. Yeah. And came out to the principal in the principal's <laughs> office. What did the principal say? She was amazing. She's like, oh, Nick, we've got transgender kids in our diocese. We can handle a gay mum. Good on you. We'll support you. What do you need? Oh, and that's beautiful. Yeah, well, she was really, really good. So, yeah, so that happened. And then I had an emergency meeting with my psychologist. I'm like, how do I manage this? And her advice was to get in front of it, to make sure that I controlled the narrative with the children and that the kids if Liska felt comfortable the kids 
met Liska early on because she might might not be spoken of well otherwise and so that's exactly what happened and you know it happened all very naturally and the kids adore her and she adores them that's wonderful yeah. so did they did you have any hiccups with them adjusting or has it been kind of smooth sailing do you know I would say overall kids are actually really resilient and they know how they feel and they know how people make them feel I would say there were more bumps along the road particularly with one of the kids about me leaving there was more upset around that but the fact that Liska's a, a woman is kind of irrelevant yeah yeah in this day and age it's not an uncommon thing no yeah so yeah. I would think even you know once upon a time I imagine kids at school if they had same-sex parents it could be a really big issue or, or something you know to, to bully other kids about but have, have your kids come up against that or has it been okay? Not that I know of. Um, I think I'm really lucky in the community that we are in. Um, although my eldest has started high school and, um, again, I get on the forefront of things. I, you know, I've mm. met with the year coordinator, so just let you know we've got a bit of a different family situation and just if anything comes up, I'm here and this is the situation. So, no, not, not that I know of. In saying that, the area that the kids go to school in is very white, is very, you know, married, three kids. I'm the only gay mum there that I know of. One of my friends, one of my best friends, is the mum of the only trans kid in the school. <laughs> so, so we're bringing the rainbow to the Catholic school system. I must say my experience with the Catholic school system in Sydney has been exceptional in terms of supporting me and supporting my friend who has a trans child. So I do feel like things are, are definitely progressing. That's awesome. I'm really happy for you. Yeah. That's, that's great. Want to fill your soul with more? Go to thesisterco.com. I, I want to ask you a question, and don't you don't have to give me detail. Okay. But was it kind of weird or different having sex with a woman oh, compared to great a dude? Question, yeah. You know what I mean? Because I'm like, yeah, how does that? If you've never been with a woman, like it's going to be your first time. It's like, yeah. I was probably more nervous that I <laughs> am I not doing it right because Liska had been. With, a woman. Uh, with, two, with two women prior to me. She had two relationships yeah. prior to me. And I remember she said to me, well, it's easy. You know what you like. And I, d- I remember just relaxing. But I 100% identify as being gay because I enjoy sex way more than I ever have. Um, and it feels really natural to me. So, yeah. yeah. That's interesting. So, you don't think of yourself as bi, like totally? No. Yeah. If anything... And touch wood, if, if anything was to ever happen to Liska and I, either yeah. I'd be with no one or a woman, like it, I wouldn't go back. I'm just going to say, I love this crazy life, you know, where you just <laughs> like, you just, 20 years ago, you would never have thought you would no. be here and living, you've met the love of your life. Um, you probably, life now is not what you would have anticipated back then, but, but it's so wonderful to see you so happy. Yeah, like I've even had friends um, from school that I haven't seen for years that will comment on a photo that they see me in now with Liska saying, oh, my God, I've never seen you so happy. And I, th- I, do, I, I do agree with that whole saying around you can't be what you can't see. I didn't know anyone or anyone who was outwardly gay for my whole childhood I didn't know many gay women early in my adult life I I knew I knew and had gay men in my circles so I just 
I don't know, it just wasn't even on even on my periphery. But now I look back, it's interesting, I look back in retrospect, I'm like, oh, yeah, there was probably a sign there. Like, <laughs> um, and I guess I could delve into that to work out, you know, have I always been? Um, but my psychologist is like, I only go there if you want to. I'm like, no, I'm actually really clear yeah. that I'm with the person that I'm meant to be with and, yeah. That's great. Did you lose any friends or family over it? Um, no. Because people can be judgy. Yeah. Like, even not even around that, like, school mums can be super judgy about what you pack your kids for lunch. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, not that I'm aware of. I don't know if anyone has, you know, taking a wide berth because I'm the resident lesbian. I'm not too sure. Probably the hardest conversation was my dad. My dad's very conservative, very Catholic in his 70s. And I, um, I was really scared. I was really scared to tell him. And that was that conversation I referred to earlier. He yeah. said, he said to me, darling, I don't care. I've got my girl back. If you're happy, I'm happy. Um, and has been super supportive. You know, got up and told this beautiful speech at our wedding and, you know, mic drop moments and had everyone crying. And he's just happy. I'm happy. I actually think I definitely, some friendships have dropped off. I actually think that's more about the marriage breakdown than the fact I'm with a woman and you know what that happens naturally yeah you know you talk to anybody that has a marriage breakdown and you lose friends some way people pick sides yeah they do unfortunately and that that saddened me because there were a couple of friends there that I really didn't think I would lose so there was that I had to grieve that yeah so Nick what have you learned about yourself (laughs) I've always thought of myself as resilient but I'm way more resilient, actually, than what I ever perceived I could be. I think of that six-week period when I was leaving my ex-husband. I was running a pretty substantial size business with five or six employees. I was couch surfing off friends' couches. I was getting up early, getting the kids ready for school, getting them off to school, then coming back at the end of the day, getting them to bed and then going and couch surfing. All meanwhile, trying to work out my exit plan and take care of my mental health and work out how I was going to make this work. Yeah, I think about that period and that uncertainty, that financial uncertainty and, you know, being scared of what this was going to look like. I yeah. do say, I do say though, that some of the best things come from putting yourself into that uncomfortable, oh, feeling that uncomfortable situation. Definitely. I, I remember saying to people probably haven't said it for a while, everything life feels 10 times harder, but I'm 100 times happier. And that's how I felt. Everything was hard, but I was just so happy. I just want to be happy. Yeah. And what have you learned about life? <laughs> you can't write it and you don't want to write it. Just to be open to, to new experiences and, and trust in the, probably trust in the universe and don't force force it too much do you ever think about what your life would look like now if you never told Liska how you felt about her no I can't I just like she is so much part of my world no I can't I can't and it's funny I think back I've had a lot of people ask me like do you have any regrets is there anything that that you would change you know what if you realized that you were gay before you had met your husband or had you not married him and I can't imagine that either because we have three incredible kids and the only way that they could be here on this earth was for me to be with him. And so if that's the way the stars had to align for them to be here, that's, that's perfect. That's perfectly okay. And I feel really happy about the time that I, I made 
the decision as hard as it was and as hard as it still is sometimes. Well, I say hats off to you because we talk about rebuilding after a divorce. My friend, you have totally rebuilt and gone on a whole separate path that you probably never expected. But it's so great to see you so happy. And I think you're a testament to taking a chance, speaking up and actually going for what makes you happy. Definitely. And and if that advice, I go back to what my friend said, if that advice is good enough for your kids, why don't you love yourself as much as you love your kids? And if you don't live that way, then you are giving them the opposite advice. So that that has just always stayed with me. What What would I want? What would I advise my kids? That's what I need to go for. Amen, sister. <laughs> okay, beautiful Nick. If people want to know more about you or come and check out your business, or they want to be a mystery shopper, <laughs> where can they find you? Our website, so humanexperience.com.au. So yeah, definitely you can apply to be a mystery shopper there. Or if you're a business that wants to know what's happening on your shop floor or over the phone or on online, um, check us out. The dot on a sock business is really easy. It's dot on a For all the mums out there that want socks that match with for their kids. Yep. Oh my God. Yeah. And accountability circle is also accountability circle.com.au we have a few vacancies for business women at the moment to join our circles well nick thank you so much for coming and sharing your story because you really have been so brave going after what it is that makes you truly happy and it's so wonderful to see you happy and the rewards are there hey thanks soul sister <laughs> thanks mel thanks for listening to hey soul sister with mel histon what would help you on your crazy life journey email melissa at the sisterco.com.